Today is the last in our four-part series called Transform. And we've been looking at the transformation that happens through the gospel message. I want to do a brief review of our previous three weeks so that we can catch up to where we are today in case we have any first-time guests, which we do. And if we have any people who've been absent for a little while, let's talk about the previous three weeks from the Gospel of Luke chapter 3 that we've talked about. In week one, we mentioned that through repentance, spiritual change will produce spiritual fruit. Praise the Lord. I don't know when you got your garden started this year, but I picked my first tomato about three days ago. Picked my first tomato. And man, it's beautiful. And I hope that's the first fruits of a great harvest this year. I might put it in the offering plate so God sanctifies the rest. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Dave. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> but see, the tomato plant, by nature... Bears tomato fruit. And a Christian plant, when we've been transformed by the gospel, will by nature bear Christian fruit. Sometimes it's small fruit, sometimes it's big fruit, sometimes it takes longer for some tomato plants to produce fruit than others, but there's fruit that comes. In week two, we saw that tangible faith is the result of what happens when we're transformed by God. Tangible faith is faith that we can see, faith that we can touch. I can, I can look at you. I can look at your life and see, yes, yes, this brother loves the Lord. This brother is serving the Lord. We see that tangible faith is obedient. Tangible faith is outward towards other people. Praise the Lord, this year I believe we baptized ten people. We've got six people waiting to be baptized. Brother Don's been working on our baptismal because we burnt the heater up. We used it so much. But here was one of the signs of a dying church. One of the signs of a dying church is that it was inward focused, not outward focused. So tangible faith is outward. It's opposite of the way we previously lived, and it's optimistic about Christ in our circumstances. And last week, we observed that all of these things are not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. So in essence, what John has been preaching... John the baptizer is he's preaching an A.D. reality in a B.C. setting. He's preaching something before Christ has died that can only take place after Christ has been resurrected. So the message of repentance, transformation, and glorifying God ultimately can only be fulfilled after Christ died. He was basically prophesying of what the Christian life would look like. So today, here we are. And today we're not going to necessarily talk about the transformation that happens in the life of the Christian. We're going to talk about the transformation that happened within the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. However, I don't want this message to seem commonplace today. Somebody asked me, what are you preaching about this Sunday? I said, in essence, the Trinity. I don't want it to seem commonplace today. I don't want us to take for granted those things which we've heard over and over in Sunday school and church and devotionals and Bible reading and singing and worship and hymn books. Because essentially, we as the church only have one message that we preach every single Sunday, every single Wednesday. And that message is that God in flesh was crucified for sin. We have no other message. The task of the preacher is to say the same thing over and over in different ways. God in flesh was crucified for sin. That's the only thing I've got to say. If you expected to hear something different today, I hate to disappoint you. I have one message, 
But the reality is, even though some have heard it for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, there's still people that don't hear it. It goes in one ear and out the other, the gospel of Christ. Now this brings me great comfort, that it's not my job to make a hearer understand. And when someone doesn't understand, it's not my job, because it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring the message of the gospel upon the heart of the hearer. But it also brings me great fear that someone can sit in the house of God for 30 or 50 years and there has never been a sanctifying change brought about in their life by the Holy Spirit. And they're indeed on their way to eternal separation from God. This is a reality in the house of God. That there are those who have heard the gospel message, who have attended Sunday school, who are there for religion and not for Jesus Christ. And that should bring us great fear. You see, salvation is ultimately not an intellectual acknowledgement of some facts about God. Salvation is a spirit-wrought, blood-brought transformation that results in fruit for the glory of God and His kingdom. If it's not resulting in fruit for the glory of God, it's not a God-wrought work. Now, just for an example, I've seen many Christians this week posting quotes and Facebook statuses and things about Maya Angelou. Saying that a saint has passed on to glory. Even one of my best friends in ministry published her picture and said, rest in peace. And as I was seeing all of my Christian friends praising this saint who was gone to glory, I said to myself, we still don't get it. You see, we really think that deep down people have good hearts and that if someone has some kind of talent and because they can write poetry and because they mention the name of God at strategic times, then that person, person must be a Christian. Well, they, they don't go around, you know, beating people up and saying derogatory things. They're a nice person and, and they mention the name of God once every six months. They must be a Christian. Probably most of us in this room think that Maya Angelou was a Christian because she seemed like a nice person. But folks, no one goes to heaven because they're a nice person. (laughs) We're not going to get there and and Jesus says, okay, you were pretty nice to people, come on in. It's not because of that. That's works-based salvation. That's what most of the world is hoping, not the house of God. We're not hoping that. If that's news to you today, then you need to stick around because I've got better news for you. First of all, Maya Angelou did not write the poem called When I say I'm a Christian. That was written by Carol Wimmer. Secondly, a lot of people posted the quote, A woman's heart should be so hidden in God that a man must be seeking him in order to find her. That does not come from Maya Angelou. It comes from Max Lucado. And people think, man, I read a quote on the internet. Must be Maya Angelou is a Christian. She didn't say none of those things. Max Lucado and Carol Wimmer. Let's talk about the church she was involved in for a moment. And I've got a point here, folks. It's called the Unity Church which is a philosophical system rooted in the New Thought Movement. Here's what the Unity Church teaches. The Unity Church teaches that every human being is created in the image of God and that the Spirit of God lives within each person. Therefore, it doesn't matter if you're Buddhist, uh, Islamic, every person has the Spirit of God within them and all people are inherently good. First wrong... Because you only get three chapters in the Bible till you see that we are not inherently good and that we are separated from God and that spiritually we are cast out of the Garden of Eden because we cannot have a relationship because of one big word that people don't like to talk about today called sin. Sin is evidence that we are not inherently good. 
Also, the Unity Church's basic position is that the church is a state of consciousness. So essentially, you get into the church by thinking your way into it. The more positive thoughts you have, the more you're in the church. The less positive thoughts, the less you're in the church. They say that God is a... Oh, I'm sorry. Unity emphasizes the creative power of thought in people's experience. And encouraging, encourages taking personal responsibility to choose life-affirming thoughts words and actions and that when people do this by their thoughts they experience a more fulfilling and abundant life you don't have to read my angelo to do that simply read joel osteen this is what secular humanism teaches that the more positive you are the more you find god's plan for your life sometimes christianity is not positive sometimes it's hard sometimes it's downright excruciating sometimes ministry is downright excruciating Paul said God afflicted him with a thorn in the flesh but it continually pointed him back to God God doesn't give us comfort he gives us trials so that we're always pushed to him it's not about positive it's about praiseworthy and pointed to Jesus Christ also, God understood as spiritual energy, which is present everywhere. This is what the, uh, the pagans teach. This is what the, uh, the New Agers teach, that God's in the tree, God's in the butterfly. In the unity view, God is not a being in the sky who is capable of anger. I'm not sure what book they're reading, because my Bible says in Acts 17.30 that God has appointed a day which, which he'll judge the world with justice. He has given proof to this by raising Christ from the dead. God will judge the world in justice and righteousness one day. And also they believe the Bible is a book of allegories, meaning symbolic stories, representing the personal path of each person's soul. So they look at the Bible as a fictional book of stories that we're supposed to learn from. That's the first error, because Scripture is inerrant. Scripture is without error. It is the divinely inspired Word of God. It is historical it is accurate collection of wisdom and not just allegorical and then I get to the point about Jesus and I'm like maybe they're gonna say something to me about Jesus since they're called a church and they say that the term Christ means the divinity in every person and that Jesus is the ultimate example of the Christ expression so that every person, every person alive has Christ. Christ is the divine expression in every person. And I started banging my head on my desk. And I say, you talk about Jesus, but you didn't mention the cross. You didn't mention the blood. You didn't mention atonement. You didn't mention propitiation. I mean, even the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness mention the cross. They get it completely wrong, but at least they mention it. Unity Church, it's not about the cross. It's about the divine experience, which we can think ourselves into. Now, Ultimately, this is a religion of moralism, which believes that people are inherently good and that everyone's going to heaven unless you kill Jews or hurt children. But the funny thing is, this isn't just what the Unity Church believes. It's sadly what most people in the Christian Church believe. And the reason is because we have been indoctrinated with moralism in our society since we were born. 
Every time we see a banker on TV who gets thrown into jail or a preacher who does something immoral and gets locked up, we say, yes, justice have been served, and this is moralism. Every time someone hurts you and you turn around and want to hurt them in order to take vengeance, that is moralism. And every time some famous person passes away, whether it be a Hollywood star addicted to crack cocaine or some poet, which neither has the simplest understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, everyone says rest in peace. You see, the gospel is not you get what you deserve. The gospel is that Jesus got what you deserve because you and I deserved hell. You and I deserved eternal judgment. You and I deserved separation from God. And Jesus got it in your place. And if that's not the pathway of salvation, I'm sorry, I know no other thinking that we can get our way into heaven. Heaven is not an intellectual path. It is a divine path of grace by faith where we are engrafted into the spiritual vine because of the blood of Jesus Christ. If I get a little fired up this morning... It's because people don't know my Jesus. And they sit out here and they use the name of God in vain. They talk about the God that created them. They think his last name is Dam. But his name is Yahweh. See, the righteous God has determined a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness. But in His sovereign grace, He sent His Son to the world to save sinners. Hallelujah. What a Savior. You'll appreciate Jesus Christ more the more you see your sin. Not your positive thinking. Not your promise of prosperity. It's our sin that we see and say, thank God for saving me. Maya wrote some good literature, but it wasn't better than Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. question for you, the question for me, the question for Maya is who is him that our iniquity was laid on? Because Christ is not the definition of what lies in you. It's not the definition of what lies in the universe. Christ is the definition of the person who was chosen from the seed and lineage of Abraham and David to establish the throne of the house of God through the shedding blood of atonement on Calvary. That is Christ. I might not get to my sermon today, but praise God, I'm going to get to Jesus. Let me talk about him for a moment. You said, Pastor, I didn't come to church to hear you pick on poets. I came for encouragement. Let me encourage you. Stop getting your theology from the news and Facebook and the newspaper and the horoscope. Get it from the Word of God. This book, it changes people. It changes you. See, Christ is not what rests in every person. Christ is the Son of God. He's the bright morning star. He's the light of the world. He is what the Scripture calls the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, I got one book in Micah that told me that Jesus would be born of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and I've got four books in the New Testament that confirm it for me. 
I've got Isaiah chapter 7, which says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel. I think that narrows it down for us because pretty much everyone that's been born in the last six years, 6,000 years, has had a mama and a daddy save two men. Adam, who didn't die on the cross, and Jesus, who did die on the cross. So that narrows it down. Who is the possible Savior? His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Scripture tells us that he'll be called Emmanuel, and that's translated God with us. Oh, somebody didn't understand me, or you would have shouted. It doesn't mean God above us. It doesn't mean God around us. He's not in the tree, friends. I'm going to tell you. You're not going to find a four-leaf clover and see, and see Jesus in the four-leaf clover. It points you to Jesus, but Jesus is not in the clover. Jesus is not in the butterfly. He made the butterfly. Jesus is not in the ocean. He made the ocean. We don't worship God by sitting in the ocean. <laughs> Some people thought that on Memorial Day. <laughs> we can worship God on the ocean, but it's not because he's in the ocean. We worship God. By glorifying the name of Jesus. Doesn't mean that God's below us like Poseidon. It doesn't mean a God we can't see. It doesn't mean a God we can't know. It doesn't mean a far off distant God that sits on the mountain of Zeus and throws down thunderbolts. It means that God climbed down the ladder of humility and was transformed into human flesh. The gospel doesn't begin by saying that you can go to God. It begins by saying God has come to you. The gospel doesn't say Yahweh sent Muhammad. doesn't say Yahweh sent Buddha. doesn't say Yahweh sent Joseph Smith or Charles Taze Russell to talk us into going to heaven. No matter of fact, the Bible says that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came down himself and put on the clothing of man to show that he was a Savior. The gospel says that Christ was transformed into our image so that we could be transformed into His. He doesn't give us just salvation. He gives us Himself in the Holy Spirit. God with us. See, we don't receive salvation simply by believing that God exists or by believing that the Bible is a good book. We receive salvation by believing in the only name under heaven and earth by which men must be saved. The name of Jesus. That doesn't give you joy today. I don't know what will. And some people say, I need a practical message, preacher. I need practical application for my finances, for my job. My friend, nothing's going to practically change you from your life other than part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was three pages of intro, one page of notes, so we got a little ways to go. Turn to Luke chapter 3, if you will. Sometimes we just got to get back on the same page. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not even about the church. The Bible's not about our church. The Bible teaches us how to do church. And the way to do church is to point to Christ. And if we're not pointing to Christ, we're not doing church. There's a lot of people today that are going to have meetings, but they ain't going to have church. Because some pastor is going to get up and talk about how you can be blessed financially by sowing your financial seed. <laughs> Tell Apostle Paul who said, I give up everything for the gospel. That's not church. That's pointing to man. 
Some other preacher's going to get up and say, here's how you get to heaven because you better keep the law. You ain't going to do it, folks. Preachers are sending people straight to, straight to hell by telling them how to keep the law. No one gets to heaven by keeping the law. We get to heaven through Christ. Let's talk about them. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Scripture says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like him, like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which says, You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. I want us to know three things about the nature of God. And I want us to all be pointed to His nature, which was culminated in the life-giving force, the life-giving person of Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, it is Christ who is the full revelation of God's nature. We don't get the full revelation in Deuteronomy. We don't get the full revelation... In the book of Psalms, we don't get the full revelation in Proverbs. We get the full revelation in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where we see the words of Christ and the death of Christ. Everything else points us there. But until we get there, we don't see it. The notes are in your bulletin. There's three things we need to know about God. Number one, God the Father is eternally sovereign. You see, this picture right here in Scripture, Luke 3 21 and 22 is the greatest example I believe we have of the Trinity in the Scripture. A lot of people say the Trinity is not in the Scripture. Let's look at it right now. you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all there in one verse. Bless God, if you can't see it, you, you need some glasses. I mean, look at it. Verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. There's a spirit. Voice came from heaven. There's the Father. You are my beloved Son. Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but my Father is a human. All right? Not sure if we all recognize that. And so, when him and my mother conceived, they produced a human. Now, now, I know that seems really philosophical, really, really far out there. That a human is related to a human. I'm going to tell you how people get it wrong. Because they see Jesus, who God calls him my son. Let's put this here. If the Father is God... What does that make the Son? Y'all help me out. God. And thousands have gotten it wrong through history. Thousands have gotten it wrong. The Gnostics got it wrong. They say Jesus is not a divine being. The Mormons get it wrong that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. The Jehovah's Witnesses get it wrong because they say that the blood of Christ was not a complete atonement for sin. Well, let me ask this. If He's God, how much more complete can you get? They keep getting it wrong because the nature of their understanding of the Trinity breaks down. They don't see the Trinity. God in flesh. Not a prophet in flesh. Wasn't Buddha on the cross? 
wasn't the Dalai Lama on the cross. It was God on the cross. And so that's why I named this sermon, Jesus, the human God. God died for your sins. I know we always say Jesus died for your sins. Yeah, but people don't know what that means. Who's Jesus? God died for your sins. The second person of the Trinity. Uh, You know, I had a guy quote me. He says, man, uh, uh, Jesus is not God because he is the son of God. Open up your hymn book for a minute. First, first song. I've never used the hymnal to preach out of, but I'm going to. Page number two, the first hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Let's look down at the last verse, top line. What does it say? God in three persons, blessed Trinity. God in three persons. I'm not talking about three gods. I'm not talking about three separations. I'm talking about one God, three persons. Blessed Trinity. And there's people that still get it wrong today. People on TV right now on TBN that teach something called modalism, which is that Jesus is the manifestation of the Father on earth. Well, let's take that, Lauren, for an example. Let's say Jesus is the manifestation of the Father, okay? So it says, And the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You know who Jesus was talking to himself? Evidently, evidently God was talking to himself. <laughs> People are crazy. Evidently, Jesus was talking to Jesus. No, that's not what it is. It was the Father talking to Jesus. Showing the Spirit as a symbol of pleasure and favor. Jesus didn't need the Spirit because Jesus was God. The Spirit was God. Why did God give us the Scripture? Why did this happen? So we see all three in one verse right there existing with one another. I believe that's why God did it. It wasn't like Jesus waited till he got the Spirit to do ministry. He was doing ministry at 12 years old. Matter of fact, we read that in January. He was teaching in the temple, listening to the questions. They were amazed. He was doing ministry. Matter of fact, Jesus was doing ministry when he came out of the womb because the wise man came and worshipped him because he was worthy before he ever uttered his first sermon. He was doing ministry. I'm still on point number one, aren't I? I need to get going. God the Father seated in the heavens. Heavens means higher place. People say, where is heaven? The Hubble telescope ain't going to see it. I'm going to tell you why. Because it exists outside of space and time. And these things come across the internet. They come across world daily thing. Researchers have discovered far off in the distant galaxies what looks like heaven. I don't need to get in a spaceship to get to heaven. (laughs) I simply need the spirit to take me there. Matter of fact, John got there while he was still on earth. (laughs) John was raptured. How could John see heaven while he was right here? If it's on the outskirts of Pluto. Because heaven's in a completely different realm of physicality and eternality. Heaven is by nature, I'm sorry, God exists in heaven, so God is by nature timeless, meaning eternal. God sees the beginning from the end. You might not know this, but God already sees who's going to be saved. Did you know that? 
God already sees the end of your life. God already sees the devil losing. That's why he proclaimed it in the last book. Did you know? Have you read that yet? Spoiler alert. <laughs> when the Titanic came out, my friends would ride around at the movie theater. It sank. It sank. <laughs> Some people didn't know it. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us that not only does the Father have these qualities of timeless and eternal, but the Son and the Spirit has these qualities. In the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was God. You see, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses changed that word. They add the Scripture. Their Bible says the Word was a God. Now, what does that give us? That gives us tritheism. Malthus gives us polytheism, many gods. In Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, there's many gods. Our God, Elohim, is one of many gods. Jesus was not a God. He was God. Also, God is by nature spaceless. Let me get to point number two. God is immediately present. Immediately present. So we see God the Father who exists the higher places bestowing in this picture God the Spirit. Now why does that matter? Why does the Holy Spirit matter right now? Because the Holy Spirit is present. I heard about a little girl who said, Mommy, why do we give money to the church? And her mommy says, because it's basically us giving to Jesus. Because we give our money to Jesus. We don't give it to a building, we give it to Jesus. So she said, when the offering plate comes around, put your money in the plate, we're giving it to Jesus. So the offering plate came and went, and after the end of service, mommy says, why didn't you put the offering plate in money in the offering plate? The little girl looked around, and she says, I didn't see Jesus here today. That's a sad reality for most churches. God is not present in a lot of churches because it's about man, it's about the building, it's about the ministry, and it's not about God. But see, God the Spirit is right here, right now, inside the life of every believer. Immediate means right now. Immediate means right here. You know what the word immediate means? It means without a medium. Right now. When I was standing on the streets of Torino, Italy, there was a lady in the Church of Satan standing in between the Catholic Church and the Church of Satan in the middle of the road doing this. Oh. Oh. Like, man, she had some good coffee today or something. And I asked our guide, I said, what is this lady doing? He says, she's a medium. And she's channeling the energy of the dead. Now a medium goes between you and the dead. A medium. Which the Bible forbids and calls it witchcraft. You see, I don't go through St. Peter to get to God. I don't go through St. Michael to get to God. I don't go through St. Christopher to get to God. There's a guy I'm friends with on Facebook, and he always posts every other day, like, St. Patrick of Canterbury, pray for us. 
That's a medium. That's saying we need an intercessor between us and God. Let me friend, tell you, friend, I don't have to ask St. Patrick to intercede because the Scripture says that Jesus is interceding before the Father right now as we speak. And that not only do I have to get a, a, a saint so I can interact with God, God is without medium in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Immediate. It's immediate right here. Immediate means the right circumstance, not merited by our action. For a long time in Babylonian philosophy, the religions of Mesopotamia and the Fertile Crescent, they believed that God existed outside of space and time, which He does, but because of that, they believed that God could not communicate with those inside space and time. This is a huge philosophical difference between the uh, pagan religions of Babylon and the Hebrew Old Testament. A lot of people look at the Babylonian cultures and they say, well, the Bible has similar features to Babylonian cultures. No, it doesn't. Because the Babylonian cultures believed God communicated through nature, through nature act like tornadoes, lightning, floods, on and on. Now, God can communicate through flood. But the Hebrew experience, the biblical experience, was built on the fact that God personally communicates with his people. And you can't read the Old Testament without seeing that God personally communicated with people, with Moses, with Abraham, Abraham Isaac, Jacob, David, personally communicated. David didn't look up and see the lightning bolt and said, okay, no, no, no. The Spirit of the Lord spoke. The Spirit spoke. He is present. And then lastly, God the Son is infinitely favored by the Father. Through the work of Christ, we become children of God, loved by God, favored by God. God is our Father. God is immediately in us through faith. And because of the work of Christ, we are engrafted into the favor of God because of what Jesus did. See, moralism and Christianity can't coincide together. Moralism and Christianity can't go hand in hand. You cannot have a religion which says what you do, you deserve. What you deserve, you get. And Christianity, Christianity is the opposite. Christianity says you don't deserve the Holy Spirit, but God gives it. You don't deserve heaven, but God gives it. There's a lot of people who think they deserve to get to heaven. We're going to stand there going to be disappointed. Why should we let you in? You remember the story Jesus told the one say lord lord look what we did look what we did lord look at all the things look at my church attendance lord look at my tithing record lord look at my sunday school attendance lord look what i did we won't get there unless we stand before god and we say look what jesus did in my behalf you see remember i told you earlier because you need to keep listening for good news here it is that because of christ God looks at you the same way he looks at Jesus. Have you ever seen the glimmer in my eye when Roman walks through the door on Wednesday night and I haven't seen him all day? And he runs in the door and he says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I get down and I pick him up. You know what I'm talking about. I have favor towards my son. I have an affection towards my son that I don't have towards you. I'm glad to see Mr. Charlie. I'm not going to pick him up and wrap him around and kiss him. But I sure will on Roman. Because Juanita might beat me. 
You see, I don't look at anyone else that way. Why? Because every fiber of my being rests in the favor and affection that I have toward my son. Now, if me, a mortal, depraved, sinful human being, has that type of affection for my earthly son, how much more affection and favor does the eternal God of the universe have for his eternal son? How much more? I cannot conceive it or comprehend it, but he has the same favor towards you. Because of Christ. I can't conceive it. But it's true. This is our last part of transform. Let Let me end with this. God the Father has transformed us with God the Spirit. Because of the merit of God the Son. 